Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome back to the Prospect Podcast. I'm Stephanie Rowland, Head of Digital here at Prospect Magazine, and this week we'll be discussing everything you need to know about the Labour leadership campaign with former political advisor and Labour Party insider Tom Hamilton. Before that, a quick show note. As the new year rings in, we're taking on a new name and will be called The Prospect Interview. Rest assured, everything else about our podcast will stay the same. This year, you can expect to hear some of the brightest minds of today join our editors to discuss the ideas that matter most in politics, art and culture. Now, back to the episode. Our guest, Tom Hamilton, was Ed Miliband's policy advisor when he was leader of the opposition. He's also been the head of research for the Labour Party, where he helped prepare Ed Miliband, Harriet Harman and Jeremy Corbyn for Prime Minister's questions. He recently co-wrote Punch and Judy Politics, an insider's guide to PMQs, with co-advisor Aisha Hazarika. Before I meet Tom, however, I'm joined here in the studio by our deputy editor, Steve Bloomfield. Hi, Steve. Hello, Steph. Now, Steve, I know you've spent much of your Christmas agonising over what's going to happen next in the <laughs> Labour leadership yep. contest, in between seeing your you know, wife and wife and child. Uh, yes, most of Christmas has been uh, reading policy briefs and uh, watching videos, stirring videos by all the candidates uh, about you know exactly how working class they really are and reading all their pieces in The Guardian which set out just how socialist they are. Um, see, I know you're lying there because you talked about policy briefs which we know nobody cares about yet. What's your feeling about the field so far? Um, okay, so let's do a quick rundown of who there is. Um, there's Rebecca Long-Bailey. Uh, and Keir Starmer, who are the two uh, two front runners. Then you've got uh, Jess Phillips and Lisa Nandy, um, who've both also sort of at least reached the next round. They've reached a threshold of 22 MPs who have to back them. Uh, and then you've got uh, Emily Thornbury and Clive Lewis, who at the time of recording are both still in it, but are quite some way away from the 22 they need. Um, and unfortunately... Uh, we don't have Barry Gardner. He was here for 24 hours and then he left. So you've got six candidates, probably four that will go through to the next round. It'll, it might get whittled down after that. They've got to get a number of unions and affiliates or constituency lay parties to back them. Then it goes to their membership. Um, and I think the, the two things that strike me about the race so far is, one, how actually it's quite hard to work out what the differences are in terms of policy between any of these candidates. You know, aside from Lisa Nandy saying, I wouldn't keep free broadband, 
no one else has really said how they would differentiate from Labour's last manifesto. Um, and the other is they've all been trying to push their backstories and how they are definitely socialists. They are definitely from a working class background, um, however they might appear today. I mean, we'll get into this a little bit more with Tom, but I think what you said there about policy is so interesting because, look, we're not heading into a general election for a long time. This is a debate about what you think about Corbyn's record before it's a debate about how you win the next election um, in several years' time. Let's talk a little bit about Barry Gardner's run, not run. <laughs> um, are we going to admit to the, the prospect Barry Gardner story? Uh, th- there is a... What, the, do you mean the picture? I mean the picture. Oh, okay. So, yeah, yeah. We, we, we did have a, a rather odd picture. So, okay, some context. Barry Gardner... <laughs> has been around forever and it was at the 97 election i think it was he had the strangest election material you have ever seen of him uh sat with a child not entirely sure if it was his own child um was the child reading or maybe barry was reading a book to him i feel like they were reading the book together yeah yeah it was all very weird anyway um and you Steph, very kindly a few months ago put that in a frame behind my desk so i had to keep on staring at it so thank you very much for that um i mean this is the thing though barry gardner is a bit of a cult figure uh within the Labour party um i don't quite understand it but uh but he is what his very brief leadership run and then not run shows i think is perhaps that not all corbyn supporters are 100 percent behind rebecca long bailey who is you know she doesn't necessarily like this phrase so much but is seen as the continuity candidate um and i think that's one of the the things that I find interesting is that both the front runners, Long Bailey and Keir Starmer, are quite fragile. Um, Long Bailey is 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 not as as strong as um, as Corbyn was in twenty fifteen, and Keir Starmer, you know, even some of his supporters say, yeah, he's all right, um, or look, we need him because otherwise it will be it will be her. Um, again, like he's not a He's not a Tony Blair from 94. So that makes it interesting for, you know, people like Jess Phillips and Lisa Nandy in particular, um, who are not as out of it as as you might have thought. It's really interesting what you say about MPs maybe backing people you wouldn't expect them to back. Not everybody who backed Corbyn is moving towards the Corbyn continuity candidate now. We have a great piece on our website by um, the Labour writer Tom King about who MPs backed in 2015 and comparing that to where the support is now. And there's some quite surprising switches. Um, Neil Coyle, Corbyn 2015, is not backing Rebecca Long-Bailey. It will surprise you to hear. But I think that's also partly because there are a lot of people who backed Corbyn in 2015 in this sort of misguided idea that it would broaden the debate. Um, and they lent him their, their support. And then, you know, Margaret Beckett says, you know, that was the greatest political mistake of her life. Uh, to do that, uh, there'll be there'll be a little less than that um, this time around because of the the consequences from it last time. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the interesting thing on, on policy will be: will there actually once they're over the threshold, once these candidates are actually proper candidates in the race, will we start seeing policy? And I guess the other thing as well is, you know, what happens when the Equalities and Human Rights Commission report into anti-Semitism comes out? Is that then the moment where Rebecca Long-Bailey breaks with Corbyn? Or is that a moment where someone like Lisa Nandy or Jess Phillips, if they're still in the race, can can try and paint both 
Long Bailey and Keir Starmer as, look, you sat alongside this guy and this is what the, the HRC has said. Well, we will see. Thank you, Steve. And now we've got a bit of an overall look at our field. On to our main conversation with Tom Hamilton to discuss the details of the Labour Leadership Contest. Hello and welcome back to the Prospect interview. I'm here with Tom Hamilton, a former Labour Party speechwriter and advisor. Tom, you've worked with Ed Miliband, Harriet Harman, Jeremy Corbyn and seen the Labour Party transform over the years. Now, it's been an eventful few weeks um, and it's probably true that wherever you sit in the Labour Party, if you're a member or just somebody who frequently votes Labour, you might not be feeling great right now. (laughs) Well, no, I mean, Labour's just had what's sometimes described as its worst defeat since 1935, except that 1935 was quite a good result for Labour because it was gaining seats and vote share. So it's far worse than than anything in not just any of our lifetimes, but probably our parents' and grandparents' lifetimes as well. Um, So there's no getting away from the fact that Labour is in a pretty bad state, um, having lost about a fifth of its MPs at the the last election and in in a worse position than it was when it left government nearly 10 years ago. Um, And that means that the leadership election is this slightly... Well, it's not that it's impossible for Labour to get back into power next time because these things are never impossible. Things can shift, but it's an enormous challenge. And Labour has to act and certainly conduct a leadership election as if it is choosing the next Prime Minister when most people involved know that it probably isn't and that's quite a weird dynamic. It's an interesting tension there isn't there because so many of the launches whether it's Rebecca Long-Bailey coming out in Tribune, this um, kind of new left-wing publication, or Jess Phillips in the Mirror, seem to be more about that defeat than about where we go next in some senses. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, and that's not that's not unreasonable because one of the first things that any po- political leader or wannabe leader has to has to provide is an analysis of why Labour isn't in government now because that is going to be a huge driver of the way in which they lead the party the direction that they try to take it in if um if it's your view hypothetically that labor got basically everything right in policy terms um and even message terms but just had a leader that people didn't like that takes you in one particular direction if you think that everything was fine except the brexit position that takes you in a different direction if you think that nothing was right then you probably need to change everything from the leader to the policy platform to you know just what you you name it now i'm not saying that any of those is the right interpretation but which, whichever of them you take you're clearly going to then lead the party in a different way so it's a big part of um well it's the starting point a intellectually and b just physically it, it's the starting point because we are nearly five years away from the, from, from the next election, almost certainly. It's hard to see circumstances in which the Tories would, would bother to go to the country before 2024. Let's let's pull it back to kind of the next couple of months. Yeah. And for the benefit of, of our listeners and for the benefit of me, who keeps forgetting the exact yeah. percentages, talk us through the stages of the leadership contest. So we've got four people who have got the nominations from MPs at the time of recording. Yeah. But that's only the first step, right? Yeah, that's right. So... Um, Previously, the system has been that a percentage of MPs, most recently 15% of MPs, have to uh, nominate someone and then they are on the ballot and the members decide who they're voting for. Now you've got um, preliminary stage, which is that 10% of MPs have to nominate, which given that Labour has done so badly is quite a quite a low number of MPs. I think it's 20, 22 
MPs or MEPs. So it's the PLP um, comprising MPs and MEPs. The MEPs are about to disappear from the system, but they haven't quite. So PLP, when we say that, that's parliamentary. The parliament, la- sorry, yeah, the parliamentary Labour, Labour Party. Party. So um, yeah, MPs and uh, and MEPs, but not peers who are members of the PLP actually, but they're not uh, they're not elected. Um, so you need to get twenty two of those, and then it goes to a new stage, and then you need to get either five percent of affiliates, which is the uh, the various organisations that are affiliated to the Labour Party, that's um, trade unions, uh, several trade unions, not all of them are affiliated, and various socialist societies, including at least two trade unions and including at least three of those organisations. And that's the 5% is measured by the total amount of the membership of the entirety of the affiliated organisations. Um, so... What that means is that there are about four trade unions that can take you over that threshold and then all of the other organisations involved are absolutely tiny and will not, even if you add them all together, um, which is highly unlikely to happen, they probably wouldn't get you to that point. So what are those four biggest unions we're watching? The four biggest unions, oh God, now you're going to test me. Okay, so, um, so it's Unison, uh, Unite, GMB and Usdor. And then I think the CGB are pretty close to that number. Um Community are quite big, but they're not quite at that point. And then there's, a, there's obviously a lot of a, a lot of other ones, right down to the National Union of Mine Workers, which has as close to no members as makes no difference in terms of its its voting strength. Um, and, uh, and so you need to get either five percent of of those of those organisations or the membership of those organisations, or five percent of the the CLPs, which is the constituency Labour parties, um, which have previously never had a, a formal role in the nomination of the leader, but have always had the ability to just say who they are supporting in the election. But that may change the dynamic of it a bit. That will take about a month for that to happen and all the CLPs will have to have meetings at which or well, they won't have to have meetings they can choose to have meetings at which they will nominate which candidate they they want to support because that's an important part of the process now in a way that it never was that might change the dynamic of how that happens at the time of this recording Keir Starmer is the only person to have uh, got the nomination of a big union it's possible that others will follow at the time of recording, it looks like Rebecca Long-Bailey is quite likely to get Unite, but that is that is not decided at, at, at this point. So those two may go forward and not need CLP nominations. So the question will be whether the CLPs collectively or individually, but turning into a collective, decide that what they want to do is to ensure that the other candidates who may not get union backing um, get on the ballot. Um, or alternatively, they might well just follow. I mean, the thing about the favourites in any election is that they tend to be the favourites across the piece. So there will be a lot of CLPs, I would imagine, who will want to be nominating Keir Starmer and Rebecca Long-Bailey simply because most of their members support those candidates, um, which will potentially make it harder for Lisa Nandy, Jess Phillips and the rest of the uh, of the candidates. But it's just, it's just too early to say how that dynamic plays out. In previous elections, that's been a reasonably good guide to what the result of the election will be. But that's because all they were doing was expressing a preference and they weren't nominating. There'll be a similar pressure on CLPs to nominate, say, Jess Phillips and Lisa Lisa Nandy, potentially, if they haven't otherwise got on the ballot, that there was on MPs in 2015 to nominate Jeremy Corbyn, even though they didn't necessarily personally support him, just to widen the debate. So, you know, Labour's got this long-standing view that widening the debate is a good idea, even if you don't like one of the bits of the debate, which... I'm never sure how sensible that is, but it's, um, you know, it's a view. And then um, 
once that nomination process has been completed, and it's perfectly possible that um, it's still possible that everybody in the race could still be in the race at the end of that process. It's perfectly possible that as few as two could be left in the race. I would probably bet on three or four, but we don't know. Then it goes to a ballot of all of the members of the Labour Party, all of the members of the affiliated organisations who have signed up as people who want to support the Labour Party and vote in that election. And there's also a category of registered supporters who are famously in the 2015, they were the three pound non I was going to say three pound members they weren't members the three pound registered supporters that's not a three pound fee anymore that's a 25 pound fee and um you know if you're if you're interested in voting in the election and you don't know what to do it makes a lot more sense financially to just join the labor party and pay you know your whatever the uh, the monthly uh, fee is by by direct debit and you know cancel it if you don't like the result than it is to pay 25 quid up front from a purely financial point of view it doesn't make a lot of sense but nevertheless that category exists. So that's a total electorate of, well, a total theoretical election electorate of somewhere between, well, if you count the unions, <laughs> it's enormous. But, you know, you're, you, if you count the unions, you're getting into the, the, the low millions. If you just count the membership, it's well over half a million. They won't all vote, but it's a big, it's a big number. And that's not a very interesting part of the conversation, is it? <laughs> I think it is interesting, though, because as you were breaking that down, and there's a lot of moving parts, as you yeah. say at the moment, but as you were breaking that down, with the caveat that, again, like you say, if you're the front runner, you tend to tend to be favoured by lots of different parts, there's multiple audiences these campaigns are having to speak to right now, and sometimes very broad audiences. So you have Rebecca Long-Bailey, for instance, launching in this left-wing publication, Tribune, cementing her position as the the continuity Corbynite, the socialist candidate, talking to that momentum left of the party electorate there. But then you also have Jess Phillips going to the mirror. And from your experience working, sort of trying to sell politicians to the public, it's got to be quite complex to call all of these different groups of people at once. Yeah. And it's a question of who you think the audience is and I mean look the mirror clearly has a bigger readership than than Tribune by quite a long way but most of most of its readership frankly won't be that interested in the Labour Party leadership election and may not have read that article whereas the quite small circulation of of Tribune um, will almost entirely consist of people who are very interested and engaged in in that election and also the you know, Rebecca Long Bailey's team would have been perfectly well aware that a lot of people who don't normally read Tribune would see that piece because it goes around on social media. And social media, might, you know, it's in some ways quite a quite a niche place. But at the same time, you know, Labour Party, you know, left-aligned Twitter and, and Facebook and so on um, consists of you know quite a significant chunk of that particular electorate. So you know, most people who most people who need to see Rebecca Long-Bailey's initial pitch will have seen it. That's not the same as saying that she has so far reached the majority of the people that she will need to appeal to if she's going to win. But, you know, she'd be perfectly aware of, aware of that. She's got, she's got three months to go until, until, um, until the winner is, is announced. So, you know, that's potentially quite a smart place to launch. But at the same time, I think by launching in the mirror, um, A, Jess Phillips's article will still have been read by exactly the same group of of people who are highly engaged and interested in the Labour Party leadership election and will probably vote in it and may or may not have 
her as their first choice, but you know they're they're, they're watching it. But also by by choosing a relatively high circulation letter-centre publication that is, you know, it's a tabloid, it's aimed at a particular audience. That's a statement in itself about she wants to say that, and she's she's not she's not wrong about this bit of the analysis that a lot of people who previously voted Labour didn't do so this time, and it, and Labour's got to appeal to them again. And you know, the Mirror is one of the key publications for doing that. I mean, not by any means the only one. I mean, the BBC is probably even more of an important audience, but you can't you can't launch your leadership election campaign on the BBC. So, um, I mean, realistically, there are there are a relatively small number of of publications that that are going to be read by a significant chunk of the of the selectorate. Tribune actually isn't really one of them, but that doesn't matter because you can just force particular articles in Tribune into the wider discourse. The mirror probably it's also it's also a statement of intent as to investing in a part of the Corbynite project, isn't it? As well, I mean, Tribune's come out of this group of new emerging publications. The New Socialist Online is maybe another one that are. Um, intellectual, thoughtful, policy-oriented. So it's yeah. she, she's trying to telegraph something about the type of pitch she is. Yeah, absolutely. And she has been really closely associated with not all, but quite a lot of the the Corbyn project from a policy point of view. She was the um, you know the shadow business secretary. She had a lot to do with uh, with the Green New Deal, Green Industrial Revolution. A lot to do with a lot of. Um, Labour's policies towards um, workers' rights, you know, big, big important parts of, of Labour's platform, which she's she's made a point of saying that she she stands by and didn't think were were wrong or the reason that that, that Labour lost the election. And it's pretty clear that that part of the agenda w- would be continued under a Rebecca Long Bailey le- leadership. In fact, she's talked about the fact that the, in her view, the Green Industrial Revolution would have been a better frame to fight the election in from a campaigning point of view. And you know, there were you know, potential sort of strategic comms mistakes in terms of Labour focusing on 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 different things, um, arguably about Labour focusing on too many different things all at the same time, um, rather than just not focusing on that as much as people might have liked. So yeah, I, I think for, for those parts of the Labour movement who are A, very interested in policy, and B, very interested in the particular policy direction that Jeremy Corbyn's taking the party in, that they would like it to continue in whatever else the party does. That's quite an important place to, to go. The other point about the different kinds of media, and this is where we come back to the, the, the mirror, I guess, is that one thing that it's quite easy to forget about the, the broader Labour selectorate is that a huge chunk of it actually isn't that engaged in... Um, in questions about the Labour leadership, it a lot of them quite literally will not have heard of all of the candidates who are standing at this point, although hopefully they will by the end of the process. Um, they're not they're not thinking about it very much yet, but you know, eventually a ballot paper will will land on the doorstep or into their their inbox, and they will um, they'll make a decision. And there are there are different kinds of of Labour member who've been Labour members for different periods of time and for different reasons, or indeed people who, you know, who've joined a, a trade union through their work and, you know, signed up to, to pay the political levy, but are not particularly interested in, in Labour politics, but probably broadly would vote Labour rather than Tory, even now. Um, and, you know, if you give them the choice of who the next Labour leader should, should be, then, you know, they'll vote 
one way or another. It's interesting, isn't it? Because you hear people already saying this this can't be a personality contest. We have to think about policy. We've got climate change. We've got a radically transformed economy. We've got austerity, you know, years of austerity. This is a really urgent moment to make a call on what practically we want the Labour Party to be. But this process is a personality contest to, to some extent, and particularly with those kinds of members. It, it always is. And and in the end, I mean, personality and policy are are not things you can disentangle as, as easily as all that. I mean, Labour has a tendency to to want to have, and this I think is it's, it's a genuine electoral drawback, even if you like every single policy that's been announced, it has a tendency to, um, partly through its policy-making processes and the way that different bits of the party are empowered to, to help to make policy, it tends to have, to make policies on pretty much everything and stick them into policy documents and manifestos and Sometimes it chooses to emphasise very small parts of that policy agenda. Sometimes it chooses to emphasise lots of it. I do think that genuinely one of the problems in 2019 was the manifesto was really, really big and just had, you know, it wasn't clear what what the, the single defining message of that campaign was. Have you still got Tony Blair's pledge card in your wallet, Thomas? I, <laughs> I, I, I haven't. Um, that was, um, it, well, it wasn't before my time in the sense of um, whether I was, you know, alive but it was certainly before my time in terms of uh voting for the labor well no not in terms of i voted labor in that election you're just Um, just knocking some years off your age yeah yeah, but i didn't but i didn't have um i didn't have a pledge card you didn't have a pledge card Um, okay yeah but actually it is it is fair to say though that one of the issues in 2019 is that with the best friend in the world it would be very hard to construct a five-point pledge card from that manifesto um or you could you can you could compile several five point pledge cards with different pledges on, and I I don't know what they would have chosen as their top five. It wasn't it wasn't entirely clear, um, which was you know part of the problem. Christmas and clarity are are electoral advantages, as the Tories found with you know get Brexit done, get Brexit done, get Brexit done. It may not be particularly pretty. It may not tell you anything about what they're going to do about a whole swathe of policy that you might care about, but at, at least you know what they think they're about and what they want you to think that they're about. And that's that's not unhelpful. Yeah, we had a great piece by um, the Labour writer and commentator Emma Burnell on the Prospect website this week saying we should ban the phrase Tory voter because it's standing in the way of people within the Labour Party communicating properly with the electorate to just go, there are people who are Tory voters. And what you're saying about pledges and the manifesto seems to really chime with that, that you need to make a pitch based on what people are interested in hearing about and how you talk to them and the empathy you need to have for your voter and you know most people won't read your manifesto <laughs> it sounds very obvious but yeah i mean what one thing that we've that we've learned from the last election and to be fair from previous ones as well is that um is that if you only get the support of labor voters then you don't win elections so it's pretty obvious that Labour is, is is going to need to win over at least some people who voted who voted Tory last time. That's not to say that that's the only place that votes can come from in order to build a winning coalition, but it, it is a a really important part of that winning coalition, not least because every vote you take from the Tories is a vote that, that they are losing as well as just a vote Tory that you're adding to your double. own total. Um, Tory votes yeah. count double, exactly, yeah. Um, so, and, and all of the candidates will be alive to that they'll just have different strategies for how they want to 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 deal with it and some of them 
some of them may appeal more to people who have recently voted Conservative than others, but it, it's quite early to say what, that's, what their strategies might look like. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. So you were just talking about people potentially not being familiar with all of the leadership candidates. Should we move on to the deputy leadership candidates who potentially sure. even, even fewer people are completely clear on? Um, there's some really interesting um, dynamics and tensions running around here though, right? Yeah, there really are. And I mean, I think, I think the deputy leadership campaign is, is different from the leadership campaign in, well, in lots of ways. But one, one really important way is that there does seem at the time of recording to be an overwhelming favourite, not just in terms of the MP no- nominations that she's received, but also um, I, mean, I, I would be quite surprised if if Angela Rayner didn't win that election. I mean, think, things can happen. Someone can come through and, and, and surprise us, or she could go badly wrong in ways that I find difficult to predict at the moment. Um, but as things stand, she is clearly clearly the runaway favourite in, in that election. She's an, an interesting candidate because... We should just pause for a second to say, um, Zoe, the far more insightful commentator, and your 17-month, 18-month? 17 or 18-month. Your old daughter is, um, is chiming in with her analysis. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing my bit for, for Labour's policy agenda by, by working a four-day week. Um, and and Friday, which is our our day of recording as well, is uh, is my day when I when I look after a small girl, and utilising um, the free childcare provided by uh, by Prospect Magazine, by, Prospect so, Magazine, uh, by a male deputy editor. So we're really um, got the progressive agenda firing on all fronts here. <laughs> <laughs> she's she's gone out again with a snack. So so from one strong woman to another, Angela Rayner, you were talking Absolutely, about. <laughs> yeah. So um, I mean, one of the interesting things about Angela Rayner is that for for some time people have been suggesting that she is quite a plausible future leader of the Labour Party I mean she may still be a future leader of the Labour Party should she have run for the leadership do you think well I think if she had run for the leadership she would certainly have had a pretty good chance at at winning it 
not by any means a certainty, but she'd have had a decent shot at it. I would never criticise anyone who chooses not to run for the leadership of the Labour Party because it's a really horrible job that um, that I would have every sympathy for anyone not wanting to do. Um, but she has she has certain things going for her which are quite quite unusual in in senior politicians in terms of you know her her background as someone who dropped out of formal education relatively early um was a was a teenage mum uh, came back into the workplace after that and worked her way up to become you know, now a, fr- a frontline frontline politician which you know probably the first the first senior level politician since since Alan Johnson to have that sort of um, that sort of backstory another person who's often described as one of one of the best leaders that that labor never had um there she has an ability i think potentially to communicate with and connect with um certain certain parts of the electorate that labor needs to talk to um but at the same time it's perfectly reasonable of her to decide to to let someone else take on that mantle um and to run for deputy instead i mean who knows she may be playing a, a long game whereby she she recognizes so I think I said earlier that it seems pretty unlikely that Labour's going to win the next election, but the deputy leader might be quite well placed to uh, uh, to become leader in future. But that, you know, I don't know how strategically she's thinking and whether she just thinks I'd, I'd rather be deputy leader at the moment. It's a less demanding, less demanding job, and that's not that's not that unreasonable of her. I'm afraid now you've mentioned Alan Johnson. All I can think of is his appearance on the Mass Singer last week in the kind of yeah, scarab style. I didn't watch the Mass Singer, but I saw it all on Twitter, and I just found it completely baffling. I could not understand what was going on, and I've now at least read about the Mass Singer. But no I'm cont- I'm context, even is less, not <laughs> even, even less insight into that than I can on the Labour leadership. Illuminate place. that image if you if you're listening to this and you didn't see it, please do Google Alan Johnson Mass Singer just for a, a bit of a laugh. It was quite a Striking spectacle, shall we say. Um, in terms of Angela Rayner, and obviously we've got Rebecca Long-Bailey, yeah. who, as you said, is, is very likely to get um, Unite's backing and, and be on that final ballot. Surely it is time for the Labour Party to elect a woman leader. Well, yeah. And there's a there's an interesting dynamic in Labour leadership elections almost every time, um, especially in the, in, in, in the last few sort of post-2010. Um, where people have said it's about time Labour had a woman leader and then people also say but this particular time the person that I'm backing just happens to be a man um, but you know ideally there will be women as soon as possible. Um, a, a stat that I keep coming back to or a fact I keep coming back to is that um, there's only one woman in Labour's history that's finished higher than bottom in a Labour leadership election and she finished above another woman, which was Yvette Cooper in, in, in 2015. Now, I don't believe that gender is absolutely the only reason why those people have consistently placed below their male their, their male opponents, but I also don't think it's a non-existent part of the, of the equation. And it is, I think Labour sort of collectively does feel quite ashamed of the fact that it's never had a woman leader, but it also Collected. is... Elected woman leader. No, elected, yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, yeah. Um, it's had it's had two women leaders who've um, who've done the job um, in between elected male leaders yeah. <laughs> as, as, as deputy. Um, but no, that, that that's right. It it feels ashamed of it. It thinks it should change it, and it always thinks you know next time we'll elect a woman. But this time, this particular man just happens to be my uh, my first preference. Um, 
it's quite possible actually. I think you know Rebecca Long Bailey really is in a position where it is not remotely implausible that she could uh, that she could win, and and actually, it's not completely implausible that either Lisa and Andy or Jess Phillips or both could do better than people think at the moment. Although as things stand, I think they would count as sort of second tier outsider candidates. Um, but you know, a lot can change in a campaign, both by people performing well and people performing badly. And, um, you know, they certainly shouldn't be shouldn't be ruled out. In fact, there are, there are more leading female contenders than leading male contenders at the moment. But nevertheless, there is one quite significant leading male contender who, you know, is, is the polling favourite and certainly wouldn't be at all surprising if he won, which is Keir Starmer. We've not really talked about the voting system, but we should also point out... Um, the way that Labour votes on the leadership can have quite a significant effect there. I mean, if we have Keir Starmer and Jess Phillips on the ballot, the second place preferences might might take one of them over the line. I don't know. It's it's possible. Um, I don't know how that would how that would end up breaking down. I mean, there are lots of different dynamics, and the one that is the one that is always talked about is the the left-right dynamic within, you know, that I, I always bridle slightly at the idea that um, that anyone in a Labour Party leadership candidate is, in a Labour leadership election isn't left-wing because they're all left-wing. They're all standing to be the leader of a left-of-centre political party. But that doesn't change the fact that some are more left-wing than others and some count as being more on the on the right of the Labour Party. Although not very far on the right. Of the Labour. I mean, Jess Phillips is not, it's not really on the Labour right. She's a, she's a soft left politician if you want to get into this this is a bit we're going to clip for twitter I know, and you yeah, can clip, yeah. <laughs> have this row this all bit, day yeah please don't do that um uh yeah they're, they're all on the left but some of them are more on the left than others but then there's the question of you know you can talk about continuity corbyn as if that's a pejorative you can talk about that as if that's a plus point you can talk about that and point out that it is inevitably an oversimplification of what's going on which it certainly is um but there are candidates who are more committed than others to continuing as much of jeremy corbyn's legacy as possible and others who who want to make a a clean break from it and that is partly about what they really want to do and partly about how they think they need to position position themselves in order to uh, to win an election i mean the other day when when rebecca long bailey was asked and it's a it's not a brilliant question except that it got an answer that was newsworthy, so I guess it was a good question. Um, what she'd give Jeremy Corbyn out of 10 um, for his leadership, and she, said, and she said 10 out of 10. She was widely sort of ridiculed for that in the media and among certainly some parts of the Labour movement that is less pro-Corbyn. And, you know, it's pretty obvious that in some respects, Jeremy Corbyn's leadership is not was, was not as perfect as that mark implies. But someone pointed out to me that purely from a an electoral point of view, that might be the best answer. Um, you know, there might be enough people voting in, the, in, in this leadership election who who believe that about Jeremy Corbyn to think that anyone who's not prepared to give that answer might not might not be a, enough of a keeper of the fame. And you know, who knows? I thought Keir Starmer's answer, answer to that was pretty good, which is, I'm not going to give Jeremy Corbyn a mark out of ten. He's a friend and a colleague. Go away. Which is that's the good sort of dodge the question kind of answer. But but yeah, that sort of that question of how far you see yourself as a continuation of what's of, of a project, which it's a weird project because it has been in some ways very successful in terms of its dominance of the Labour Party and its shift of 
Labour's policy position on certain issues and it's shifted the way that Labour talks about certain issues over the last five years or so. And then there's another sense in which, you know, in purely electoral terms, it has to be judged as a failed project because it, it led to uh, Labour losing a lot of seats. Um, and those things can sit together. I don't. I think it's it's easy for either side to use that as sort of part of a factional war and use it as, as ways of, you know, coming up with gotchas against each other. I think it's not unreasonable for those people who are not part of the Corbyn project to concede the point that, you know, Labour has moved in a direction which the party membership as a whole is is more comfortable with in terms of its rhetoric around austerity and so on, while also acknowledging that from an electoral point of view, it just wasn't, it hasn't yet had the success that they w- that they would have wanted. It would be interesting if we do have Rebecca Long-Bailey as leader to see, as you say, it's an oversimplification to call her the continuity Corbynite candidate. She's you know, not just uh, the, the Corbyn proxy. Um, but how the moderate or more right-wing sections of the Parliamentary Labour Party would respond to her, her winning that? Yeah, I mean, there's... There was a lot of talk under Corbyn about whether people would would break away, and obviously some people did. And um, the experience of of Change UK was that, um, well, it certainly wasn't electorally successful at all in its own right. Um, even if um, even if the, some of the people involved would stand by their decision to to leave the party, I I would be really surprised if a Rebecca Long Bailey victory led to any sort of party split I think it might lead to some people whose analysis is that Labour can't win with this agenda to to be a bit demoralised but that's not well A they might be proved wrong and B in any case I I don't think they've got anywhere else to go at this point I'd, I'd be really surprised if if it led to anything very much in, in, in those terms and I think actually you know, one of the things that if she wins she will have to think about is does she want to be more explicitly, what's the word, not non-factional in her appointments um, than than Jeremy Corbyn was? I mean, to be fair, Corbyn was more non-factional at the beginning than he was after the 2016 um, second you know, leadership challenge. That was partly because you know, he was he was in a position where there were certain people he ha- he had to reward and certain people who wouldn't who wouldn't go into the shadow cabinet anyway. I think there's a criticism to be made that he he kept. He kept his shadow cabinet the same for quite a long time, despite the fact that not everyone was performing brilliantly. Would that have changed the result of the election? Probably wouldn't. So let's not let's not get let's too not, ex- let's not dwell on ex- it. Excited about it. And to be clear, you have a, a, a similar question. Whoever the yeah. leader ends up being, I mean, if Jess Phillips was leader, it'd be a real question for her and her team how she works with momentum going yeah. forward. So this idea of how you move on from quite a, f- a fraught period for Labour factionalism and, and try and bring back together a electorally successful coalition is, is there for anyone. Yeah, it is. And I think I think that one of the most important things, whoever wins, will be for as many bits of the Labour Party as possible to recognise that although there are factions and different views and different traditions within the Labour movement, it is only really in a position to win when those factions are more or less pulling together. So, you know, it will be incumbent on both sides in a hypothetical world in which Jess Phillips won. It will be incumbent on both her and Momentum to recognise that Momentum has 
you know, at least two functions within the Labour Party. One is to push for a particular kind of politics and a particular kind of policy agenda, which it will, I imagine, do under any leader. And one is to be a mobilising force of campaigners, um, which, again, I would hope it would do under any leader. Um, and a leader who doesn't come from that tradition, who's prepared to embrace that, um, I think it's likely to be more successful than one that tries to expel them. From, I mean, I, you read people on Twitter saying, you know, maybe they could just prescribe momentum. So, what, I, what planet are you on? I mean, you might not, you might not, you might not like them all of them. You might not agree with all of their sort of political perspectives. But for goodness' sake, this is a quite a significant chunk of the Labour movement who you seem to want to go away. And if, you know, well, they probably will go away if you say that, but then you, you, get, you get a different kind of electoral problem, which is that you know, the left part of the, of the Labour coalition goes off, to a, goes off in different directions. Well, Zoe's definitely not happy with that happening. She doesn't like that idea, no. She's, she's going to join Momentum as soon as she's Let's there. give her the, the final word. We'll see what <laughs> happens over the next few weeks. Keep up with the ongoing analysis on prospectmagazine.co.uk. And Tom, thank you so much for coming in. Thanks very much. We'll leave it there. And that's all from us this week. Thank you for joining us on the Prospect interview. We'll be continuing to run coverage of the Labour Leadership Contest on our website, prospectmagazine.co.uk. And finally, if you enjoyed the Prospect podcast, please do leave us a rating and a review. It really does help. Goodbye and see you next week where we'll be talking to journalist Hepsibar Anderson about our diets in the age of the climate crisis. Is veganism or plant-based eating really the answer? Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out at the French Open for a chance to win a Grand Slam title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. See the action unfold as legends fight for glory and new rivalries emerge. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th, with match replays on demand so you never miss a moment. From the first serve to the final point, Roland Garros promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water it starts to just taste bland and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just, I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you.